Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Micah chapter number three, all right? Micah chapter number three is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, what we're going to find as we continue our series is this next chapter, Micah chapter 3. The first three chapters are really broken up into uh, calls of judgment and woes and warnings to uh, many of the people in uh, both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Today we're specifically going to see him talking to the leadership of, uh, of those locations and uh, the leaders of his people and so we'll talk a, lo- a lot about, even in our application, about our leadership and our influence because of that uh, direction of the passage. But also, what we see in starting next week as we get into chapter number four and five and six, probably my favorite section of the book of Micah, okay? Uh, warnings, as we've talked about, are needed, right? We need to take heed to the warnings of Scripture. They are needed, they're necessary, and even in, in warnings and woes, it's, it's, a, sig- it's a symbol and uh, really a, sh- a showing of God's grace. He's warning people of wrath to come um, and of judgment to come because of their actions. So even in his warnings, we see the heart of God's mercy and grace in the way that he proclaims that judgment. But in chapters 4, 5, and 6, what we're going to see is uh, we're going to start to see uh, a coming restoration on the horizon uh, called for. And especially chapter number five, we're going to see the Messiah is predicted, much like we saw last uh, week in chapter number two, just uh, briefly talking about Jesus, the breaker, the good shepherd who would come. And chapter number five, it's going to tell us exactly where he's going to be born, telling us that king is going to be born there in Bethlehem. And so I'm I'm excited. I've loved these three chapters, but I'm really looking forward to the next three weeks, the next three chapters as we see some of the hope and the restoration declared by the prophet Micah. So Micah chapter number three, and what I'm going to do to start the message, okay, what I'm going to do to start the message is just read the first line of the first verse. We're going to cover the rest of the chapter as we walk through. Uh, But what I want us to see is really, I've titled the message this, listen up leaders, because that's really what Micah is saying here. And so let's read just the beginning of it and then pray, ask the Lord to bless the time, and then we'll dive into it. Okay, the very beginning of the chapter, it says this. And I said, this is Micah speaking, and I said, hear, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We just ask, Lord, would you help us as we dive into your word now, as we hear from it, as we glean from it, would you give each and every one of us something that we can walk away with to apply to the way that we live for you? God, we are so grateful, so uh, just in awe and wonder of your mercy and your goodness to us. Lord, both in the way that we've sung today that we say we love you so much because of who you are and what you've done. Uh, But Lord, even as we've studied this uh, prophetic book in scripture, we've seen your heart, Lord, and we've seen your uh, your mercy and your your glory, Lord, and your uh, accuracy in being able to predict exactly what will take place in uh, the lives of your people. And so, Lord, we just uh, stand in awe even as in our study of who you are and what you do. And we ask God that 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 awe and wonder, and Lord, that, that that, that would motivate us, God, to live for you uh, even this week. And so help us each to evaluate ourselves as we look into this chapter 
and uh, take away something that we might be able to glorify you with in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> leadership, um, just saying the word leadership, it's kind of a buzzword now, isn't it, <laughs> right? There's just leadership everywhere. Uh, it, it's uh, something people really like to talk about. I mean, leadership is talked about all the stinking time. Uh, it's, it's an attractive thing to talk about. It's an attractive thing to talk about in today's day and age. In fact, I, I was looking this week, if you were to search for leadership podcasts, there are thousands of them. That's just podcasts. Don't even talk about the books, <laughs> the books on leadership. I mean, you just Google books on leadership and you have millions. Uh, actually, I think that Google one gave me billions of links to, that I could look at. Uh, and then podcasts gave me uh, like uh, almost, I think it was 667 million links, okay, for that. I mean, it's just crazy how many uh, links you can find and uh, resources you can find. You can pretty much just uh, go anywhere online for development of yourself, uh, whether that's books or podcasts or YouTube uh, videos or TED Talks or anything like that. What you're going to find is people talking about leadership. And uh, the truth is uh, that those who are put in positions of leadership and especially in the context of those who are called to lead, the people of God, uh, th there's a high calling behind that. And uh, God takes it very seriously. In fact, we see that a lot throughout Scripture. God takes it very seriously, those who lead others, and especially those who lead His people. And what we find in Micah chapter 3 is this is the subject, the subject of leadership. It's all about, uh, what we're going to find is, it's all about bad leadership, really is what it's about. Uh, this is God pronouncing judgment on bad leaders. So uh, for us this morning, if you're a leader of anything, this chapter becomes applicable to you. Uh, as we study this passage, we should be asking ourselves some of these questions. We should be asking ourselves, uh, who or what do I lead? Do I lead anything? Am I a, a parent? Am I a boss? Um, am I a, a pastor? You know, any, in any area of our life, where do we lead and who do we lead? Uh, we should be asking ourselves the question after, as we look at this, how should we lead? How should we lead? Do we lead like Jesus is a question we should be asking ourselves. What's it like to be led by you? Okay, if, if you were someone under your leadership, Think about it that way. If you were under your leadership, what's that like? Is it, is it life-giving? Is it helpful? Or is it crushing? Is it uh, emaciating? Like we, what we see really the leadership is what it's like to be under the leadership of the people of this time and Micah's time. I think if we were to talk about it long enough, you would uh, find that many people have seen or experienced bad leadership in their life, Right? And sad to say, many people have experienced or seen bad leadership amongst the people of God, amongst uh, God's people. And when you have bad leadership, uh, bad spiritual leadership experiences, that, that's life-shaping. That shapes a lot of people's life. Um, I, I think uh, we could probably go around in here and, uh, well, let me just ask, how many of you have seen or experienced bad leadership in a spiritual way? Yeah, okay. I hope that none of you raising your hands are talking about me. If you are, then come and tell me. I, I, I want to apologize. Let's talk about it. But, um, but I, I, it's just the reality of the fact, right, that we see bad leadership uh, in, in all of the world, but even, uh, so to, sad to say, in the spiritual realm, in the, in the church, in, amongst God's people. 
my experience uh, just in life as I've been a part of many churches, as I've, uh, as I've traveled on internships, both the internships I did, I was at different church, multiple churches a week, uh, and especially multiple churches throughout a month. And so I've, I've been exposed to all kinds of uh, bad leadership and good leadership in churches. And uh, now that I've been on staff at a church and now that I'm a pastor of a church, uh, I rub shoulders with a lot of people in different churches and uh, different leadership positions of churches. And, and something I've seen, just in my own experience and, and what I've seen, is I've seen all kinds of bad leadership in churches. Uh, I've seen... I've seen self-aggrandizing leaders in the church. Uh, people who, uh, they, they see themselves as, as like kings of the church or lords of the church. Or some of them, sad to say, even see themselves as the savior of the church, of the people that they're supposed to leave. And uh, many of them, because they uh, make themselves so big, uh, both in their head and in the way that they speak about themselves, they... They end up really leading the people that God has called them to as like subjects in a kingdom rather than uh, sheep uh, under an under shepherd. And it becomes much like that. I've seen authoritarian leadership uh, where people, leaders intentionally create cultures of fear in the church. Like they come in and people are all of a sudden on edge. And like some, some leaders like get off on that like, yeah, they fear me. Uh, I've seen that in a church, authoritarian leadership in that way. I've seen materialistic uh, leadership or, or uh, leaders who are all about wealth where, uh, in fact, I was just, I was listening to a couple of stories this past week on just in study of bad leadership and this guy was uh, telling about uh, a pastor that he was working for. It was a friend of mine. He was working for a pastor that uh, for, for months and months and months, they were fundraising for a new building, okay? They were fundraising for a new building and People already, you do that, people sacrificially give. Any, any God-fearing, God-loving person sees their church about to do something, they get behind it, right? They, they're excited about it. And so they, uh, they, the church is getting behind it. They're sacrificially giving. And on top of that, uh, you might have heard other, uh, on the other side, leaders do stuff like this where they're like, go take out a second mortgage on your home and then give that money to the church for us to do something, right? And then pe- put people in debt for kind of stuff. Uh, it was kind of one of those types of situations and then the pastor, because there's no accountability and all kinds of stuff, months later, takes all the money and goes and buys himself a home in his own name. Not under the church, like by, in his own name. And then resigns the church and now has a church, uh, house fully paid for in his name, right? And it's just like some people use leadership to do things like that even, bad, bad leadership. I've, I've seen and, and experienced in different circles immorality and adulterous leadership people in leadership in the church that uh, there's criminally abusive leadership that where uh, a pastor or youth pastors are are like sexually active with young people in the church things like that and just criminally abusive leadership I've seen criminally negligent leadership where people who were causing problems uh, whether uh, that actual just like theological or social problems or actual criminal acts they were related to the pastor and so nothing was ever done about it Right? I think all of us, I'm saying some of these things, all of us have probably seen or heard or experienced things like that. I'm sure we could come up with many other examples, but that's, that's not the point. The bad leadership we're really going to focus on is what the Bible talks about here, but I'm just bringing it up because that's, that's just a reality sometimes, is that there's bad leadership even amongst the people of God. But this, this chapter that we're going to look at, it applies to a leader 
really in any kind of environment, any leader of any kind of environment, and I believe especially for people in spiritual influence, in spiritual influence. So, uh, so I say that to say I'm preaching to myself this morning too, okay, as we look at this passage. But if you've experienced bad leadership, this chapter touches, I think, some nerves that, that ultimately will give us hope to know the, the ultimate leader that we have in Christ. But because uh, God takes unjust, manipulative, exploitive leadership very seriously, uh, so, so I want us to look at God's indictments on the leadership of his people in Micah chapter 3. And what we see first of all here in the first few verses is that God confronts oppressive leaders. God confronts oppressive leaders. So verses 1 through 4, something that's good to remember is uh, when, when books of the Bible or letters uh, in Scripture were written, uh, there weren't the chapters and verse divisions that we have, right? It's a great reference point for us to figure out where we're on the same page. But, but remember that those weren't in the original scripture that was written. So the metaphor we saw last week talked about this good shepherd is being continued into this next chapter talking about leaders. So keep that in mind as we go through. He's contrasting this, the leadership of that day with the leadership that would come in Christ, so he's saying, this is what a good shepherd should be doing. The breaker who breaks through for his people and leads his people and brings them to victory. However, this is what we're seeing on the opposite side, oppression of leaders, or from the leaders. So uh, verses one through four, in, in verse one it says, and I, I said, here I pray you, O heads of Jacob and you princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? The heads and rulers, princes, that, that's the leadership here. And that word judgment uh, really anytime, especially in this chapter, you see the word judgment. Many times it's talking about ju- uh, an act of justice, justice. Remember, we're going to see that a lot. Micah 6, 8, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. We're going to see it throughout the whole book of Micah. Here's one area that we see. He's uh, indicting people for their lack of doing justice, uh, their lack of doing justly. He's saying, uh, you're the ones who are supposed to understand justice, and yet you are the ones appointed... Uh, and you are the ones appointed by God to make sure that God's people are handled justly. And yet that's the opposite of what's taking place. You, you're supposed to know this. You're supposed to practice this. But instead, this is what you're doing, verse 2 through 4. Who hate the good and love the evil. Who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones. Who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin. Uh, their skin, sorry, not the sin, the, from off them, their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as the flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. If you were to compare this to the shepherd that's talked about in a few verses before it, he's saying the good shepherd, the breaker who will lead them powerfully, by contrast, these leaders... In this area, in this pagan time of Israel's history, instead of being shepherds leading the sheep, they're eating the sheep up. They're eating them up. And the picture here, if you look at the picture he's painting of these leaders, it's of someone who's getting every last drop of nutrition and taste out of the animal. Right? I mean, you, when you really want to get the taste out of the animal, you take every single bit of muscle that you can off, and, and every single slice of meat that you can, you, you get it to cook. And then what do you do with the bones? 
You throw it into the pot and get the bone broth going, right? So you can get every ounce of nutrition and taste out of the animal. That's the idea here. That's the, the picture that he's saying. The, the sheep that you're supposed to be leading, you're squeezing them completely dry. You're getting every ounce of gain that you can from them. And I mean, as Americans, it's kind of hard to understand fully this type of oppressive leadership. I mean, we, we have, obviously, we, we know there, there may be corruption in our system, but this kind of corruption and oppression is crazy. The dominance that is on these people, the helpless state of the people, they, they're just victims of those who hold the power. There are other countries even today that this is the kind of dictatorship that takes place. They're just under the thumb of those put in leadership. And because of it, they're just constantly poor and needy and have really no respite from the domineering oppression of the leaders. That's what Israel is going through here with their, uh, with their rulers, their princes, their uh, poli- politicians and their leaders in the social realm here. They're just victims of those who hold the power. And then verse 4, God says this. He's saying, they, the leaders, will eventually cry out to God for help because they aren't getting what they want out of the people. So they get every last ounce of gain they can out of the people, and then when that's done, they're like, well, now where am I going to get it? God, help me. And God's like, yeah, right, buddy. There's no way. I'm not listening. I'm not going to listen. This is very reminiscent of what the prophet Isaiah said. Remember, Micah, Isaiah, and Hosea are all prophesying around the same time. And Isaiah said something very similar in, in this time. He said this, behold, God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He's saying, God's hand is not shortened that he cannot save you. God's ear is not heavy that he cannot hear you, but because of your iniquity and sin and the oppression that's taking place in your, uh, in your nation, because of that, it's actually put a barrier between you and God. So he won't, it's not that he can't hear you, he won't hear you. I mean, even the psalmist, what did he say? He says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's the point of uh, the nation here getting to a point where God isn't speaking. God isn't listening to them when they call out because of the oppression that they are putting upon his people. Albert Barnes uh, said this about this section of scripture. He says this, he's, he has described the good shepherd and now in contrast, he's describing those who should have been the shepherds of the people, who ought to have fed and guard and direct, but now instead have become butchers. They have flayed and fed on them instead of feed them. And he heaps on their guilt act by act. First they flay, that is to take away their outer goods. Then they break their bones into pieces, that is the whole frame of their body to get to the very marrow of their life. And instead of using their privilege of their office to defend the defenseless, the magistrates abuse the law so as to circumvent it, enabling themselves to live luxuriously off the labors of their used and defenseless subjects. So we see God here confronting these oppressive leaders head on. I, I, I think of even Jesus had something to say about how she, people should lead. Uh, I think it's in Mark chapter number 10. Yeah, I have it on the screen. Mark chapter number 10, Jesus said this about many of the oppressive leaders of the day. He says, but Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, over the other nations, exercise lordship over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whoever, whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says they lorded over their people. Their rulers lord over them. They exercise mighty authority. It's very parallel to what we're reading about in Micah chapter 3. But Jesus says that's not how you should lead and influence people. You should minister and serve. Expend yourself for the people that you lead. It's not about what you can get out of them uh, and gain for yourself. It's about what you can give of yourself to them. That's what true leadership is, is what Jesus says. So now then think about our own influence. When we lead, do we consume people or do we bless them? Do they flourish and grow under us or are they weak and emaciating and, and being consumed by our leadership? It's good questions to ask when we see this indictment toward the rulers. But it wasn't just their princes, the political and social leaders. It was also their religious leaders. Look at verse five through seven. God confounds manipulative religious leaders he says this in verse number five he says thus saith the lord concerning the prophets that make my people err that bite with their uh, teeth sorry not with their feet that's weird uh that they bite with their teeth and cry peace and he that putteth not into their mouths they even prepare war against him therefore night shall be unto you that ye shall not have a vision and it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine and the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them then shall the seers be ashamed and the diviners confounded yea they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. So now we're not just talking about the, the people that are leading and governing the people, but specifically spiritual leaders, teachers of the word of God. They're called to give the message of God to the people accurately. But he's saying, you're, you're promising peace to those that feed you and you war against those who refuse to feed you. So even the religious leaders, the prophets, who are supposed to declare the message of God, whatever God said, declare that, which we're going to see Micah do in just a moment. Whatever God said, declare that. And instead, they were like, well, what do you got for me? And if they gave them something, they said, you'll have peace because I won't come after you. It's essentially what it was. You'll have peace. And those who didn't give them a reward or feed them, then they uh, declared a war on those people. And the Hebrew words here are, are talking about when it says bite with their teeth, it's talking about a striking serpent that kills and eats its prey. That's the word that's used here is the, uh, the idea of a serpent that kills and strikes to eat its prey. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, you're all snakes. And that's quite an indictment on leadership. You are snakes. I, I think it, even we've seen this in some modern ministries today where people are, are scamming people kind of like this. You know, they, they say, well, you send in money and you'll get a prayer cloth. You remember those old, uh, uh, I don't know if there's, are they still doing it, that? I haven't seen that in a long time. But they would say like, you send money, you'll get a prayer cloth. You send more money, you'll get a prayer cloth and one that I like blew my snot into. You know, it's, it's extra blessed, something. I mean, it's crazy. And who was, and, and who was following for it? Genuine people of God who should have been shepherded by these kind of people and given accurate information from the word of God, and yet instead they're scammed by it and being taken advantage of, well, you give me something and then I'll give you. You don't give me something, I, I bring condemnation and war against you because you're not helping me. 
So there were some prophets here that were in a legitimate role as a spiritual leader, but they were more concerned with their power and politics and furthering their own agenda and furthering their own gain rather than speaking the truth of God's word. I I believe that's why James in the New Testament, the brother of Jesus, said that not everyone should be a teacher of the word. He said not, not everyone should be a teacher. Why? Because those who do hold the weight of declaring the word of God, the very words of God, to the people, speaking, in essence, on behalf of God to his people. What does James say about it? They're going to have a stricter judgment, a greater scrutiny to the ministry that they hold in their life because of that role. So not everyone should be teachers. Well, apparently in this day, not everyone should have been teachers too because some of these false prophets were going after people rather than declaring the accurate word of God to them. They were saying peace to those who did them good and and war against those who did did not help them to gain. Then in verses six and seven, he, he goes to another type of person that was manipulating people. So there were these prophets and teachers who should have helped God's people to learn what they had for them. They had a legitimate office. They were prophets uh, of God. They had a legitimate office and a role that they were supposed to fulfill. But then there's the second group of spiritism and mysticism and divining and seers that Micah talks about who are manipulating and scamming God's people. There, There are these people who are leading the people of God astray with, with nefarious means and divining and witchcraft. It's very reminiscent of, you remember the, uh, uh, King Saul when he goes to the witch at Endor to try to divine and Samuel apparently comes back and says, what are you doing, man? You know, all that, that story. That's uh, the people like this who are, who are scamming the very people of God saying, well, I have a revelation. I can get someone from the dead to come. I will divine. I will see and I will give you the answers that you seek. And they, were, they didn't have the, the legitimate role. But then you had these people who had a legitimate role of prophet, and yet they were even squandering their office. And God says to all of these people, to both of them, he says this, the sun is going down. It's poetic speak for saying, darkness is coming your way. And he specifically clarifies it even more. He says this, those who are seeing and, uh, and divining, and there's this mysticism and paganism, you're going to be without access to any of that. I'm shutting it down. The sun is setting. And then he says this, uh, and those of you who have a legitimate office to declare my word, but you're squandering it, did you, did you notice what he said at the end of verse seven? There is no answer of God. There's no answer from God coming your way. That's a scary thing to be said. Again, very similar to what Isaiah said, that God's hand isn't shortened that he can't save or ear heavy that he can't hear, but that uh, your sin and iniquity is keeping him from hearing you. God here, he's saying, you're not listening to me? Well, then I'm just not going to even speak. And, and I, I believe this is both indicative of their present time where God is saying, these false prophets and these mystic sages will not be able to give you the message of what I'm saying. But I also believe that this is a prophesying or a foreshadowing of a time when Israel will get so far from God and so far from listening to God that he'll just decide, I'm gonna be silent. What do do we call this in the history of the Bible? We call it the 400 years of silence from the last prophet of Malachi before the next prophet, John the Baptist, would come in the New Testament. That God's saying, you're going to get to a point where it's, it's not that I don't have something to say. It's not that I don't want to, but you're getting to a point where you're, you're so off the rails, you're not listening, there's no point in me speaking. 
And then we see silence come from God. And how sad of a state to be in where you've shut yourself off to listening to God so much that he cuts off his message from being declared to you. I I pray that we wouldn't get to that point, that we would keep the lines of communication open with the Lord. This This is quite the sad state of affairs for the leadership of God's people. And because of it, what we see lastly here is we see God declare judgment coming to cleanse the corruption in the leadership in verses 8 through 12. In verse 8, Micah is speaking here. He says, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment or justice and of might. The word might there is the, a word we might even translate it this way, valor. I, I, I am full of the power of the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and of valor to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. He says, hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire and the prophets thereof divine for money. Ye will they lean upon the Lord, uh, yea, will they lean upon the Lord and say, is it not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house of the high places of the forest. In verse 8, Micah is speaking, and he says, uh, I'm standing up as a voice of truth in a world and in a culture of corruption. And that should should challenge all of us, just just this example right there. In spite of all this corruption at both the civil and spiritual level, there's still someone who's full of the Spirit of God and the power of God to encourage people in the truth. Valor, the word might there, valor is courage on the behalf of others. Micah's confidence is strong in God despite the world around him. And he says, I'm doing this with the power of God for the people. That's, that's my stand here. That's the way that I'm going to lead. Well, what does Micah have to say? What does he declare to the leadership of God's people? Well, he says in verse 10, he says, Zion has been built with blood. Zion is the city of God. Zion is the place where God's people are supposed to come and celebrate. There should be no place on the planet that is more life-giving, energizing, and hopeful to these people. And yet it's become a hotbed of crime and corruption. No longer is it God's city, it's become more like Gotham, really, if you look at it. I mean, it's just become a place of crime and corruption. And then he says in Jerusalem, where iniquity abounds. Jerusalem, the place of peace, the place where people should have rest and peace. Jerusalem literally means the city of peace, the place of peace. And he's saying, no, 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 no longer is it that. It's become a place filled with sin and destruction. And then we see Micah outlines some of why that is. In verse 11, he says, the judges would only do so, uh, uh, they would only do so justly if they were bribed. So, okay, uh, I'll, 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 uh, I'll give you the verdict that you want for your court case as long as you got something for me. That's what the judges were doing. The priests who, there was already a system in place, put, by, put in place by God, mind you, in the law, that would take care of the priests. And yet the priests would not perform their priestly duties unless someone would also pay them on top of that more swimmingly. Like, what am I going to get out of this for me to actually fulfill my role that I'm supposed to fulfill? And then, uh, it, it, they wouldn't even, t- the prophets, it says, they wouldn't tell God, uh, people what God said unless they paid them. 
This is how bad it was. The spiritual leaders are devouring the people. The total, there's total corruption. There's total injustice. And then on top of that, I don't know if you caught this statement, they're exonerating themselves. They're saying, well, it's happening, so it must be God's will. Is God not with us? We are the people of God. I mean, they're, they're exploiting God on, uh, on top of everything that they're already doing. Like, well, God must be for it because it's, it's happening. So this must be uh, what is supposed to happen. They're so narcissistic, so, so uh, full of themselves in their leadership roles, whether spiritual, social, or political. They were so fill, uh, full of themselves in this and so egotistical that they basically were saying this, not even God can touch us. He must be on our side because it's happening. Not even God can touch us here. They're doing all of this to God's people and they're exploiting God in the process. Well, then look what Micah prophesies will happen as a result. Verse number 12. He said that, uh, therefore, Zion, for your sake, because of all of what you have done, it will be plowed as a field. It'll be leveled. And Jerusalem will become heaps. And the mountain of the house or of the temple, that temple mount, will become as just the other high places of the forest, of the jungles. And if if you look at the history, that's exactly what happened. Babylon comes in and destroys the place. But even more than that, I believe Micah is seeing not only coming Babylon to Jerusalem, I, th- I believe Micah even here is most likely seeing Rome on the horizon as well. Because in 70 AD, Rome comes in and just levels out Jerusalem, takes out the temple, everything, leveled. And for hundreds of years, it was not, and really, you go there today, it still isn't, ever has it become what it was during this time, the temple, Jerusalem. It's never become what it was ever since that time. It's just been leveled. Micah, he predicts the fall of the temple here. And it's all happening, it tells us, because of how corrupt the political, social, and religious rulers and their systems had become. And it's just the prophets, the priests, the politicians, the princes, I can't think of any other Ps. (laughs) All of them. They're all just so corrupt that God says it's all gonna be destroyed. It's gonna be leveled. The, the place that you're supposed to find peace, you're not gonna be able to find it there. In fact, you already can't find it there, so I'm just gonna knock it out. The place where you should find celebration, there's no celebrating going on. There's only uh, corruption and, and mourning. And so because it's already not what it should, it's just gonna be leveled. It's just gonna come down. Jerusalem's gonna fall. So we hear all that and we go, that's a big bummer, right? <laughs> well, don't worry. The next three chapters are awesome. Like I said, we're going to find some real good hope in the next three chapters. But sometimes we can read or study passages like this and we go, what do I take away from that? <laughs> I mean, other than the fact that God fulfills what he says he will do, and that should bring us a good, uh, a good hope and uh, solidify our, our uh, faith in what he says will take place, because we see what he said would take place, has taken place. But what are some takeaways for us this morning from some of this? Well, I think one takeaway that we could be reminded of is that the fall of the temple being predicted and ultimately taking place brought about the relocation of it. Think about that. God, he removed his presence from Temple Mount. But 400 years later, he came in a person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he said this, I am the temple. I am God here, the dwelling place of God on earth where man can meet God. That was Jesus. He came as a person. 
And he said, you're going to destroy this temple, but I'm going to raise it up again in three days. What did he do? They destroyed it. They died. They killed his temple, the temple. But three days later, he rose it back up, built it back up in three days, rose from the dead. And anyone that trusts him by faith are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And because he lives within us, because the Holy Spirit seals us and lives within us, the book of Ephesians tells us this, that now we are the temple of God. We as his people are his temple. So the fall of the temple in ancient Jerusalem doesn't mean God isn't accessible anymore. He came as a person, Jesus. And, and, and we have access to God because of Jesus. And even in our own lives, if we're saved, he comes to others through us, the place of his dwelling. He dwells within us. We become the very place where man can find access to God because we are priests. The priesthood of all believers. If you're on a starting point class, we talked about that. That's a Baptist distinctive. Priesthood of all believers. That because we are his temple, his dwelling place, and priests to God, because of that, we are now a place where people can find access to God. In fact, some people, the only God they're ever going to get to know is the one that lives through your life. That's a little convicting when we think about us being the temple that way. That's one takeaway we could say from this. The fall of the temple in ancient Jerusalem doesn't mean God isn't accessible anymore. He came in the person of Jesus Christ and made a way for us to access God, come boldly before his throne. And then he lives within us and gives access to others to who he is by living his life through us. But also, another takeaway is pretty obvious probably in the subject of the passage, which is leadership, right? You read that whole passage about leadership, and since the leadership specifically is being dealt with here in this chapter, I think we could ask ourselves this question. Will I be a, the type of leader that God would have his leaders be? Am I leading people in whatever capacity I do that? If I'm a parent, if I'm a father, a mother, if I'm a, a teacher, if I'm a boss, if I'm a, a teacher of the word, a pastor, if I, if I fulfill any type of role of leadership, am I leading well? Will I be a Micah? Not this Micah, the prophet Micah. <laughs> Will I be a Micah? Will I stand boldly and, and in the power and fullness of the spirit and of courage speak God's truth boldly? Or, or will I tend toward corruption as a leader and an influencer? Micah, as I said, he was full of power and of the spirit and of courage, and he spoke God's truth boldly. And he, much like the good shepherd predicted, gladly expended himself for those he was called to influence. Much of the leadership of today, if you look at the leadership of today, much of it is about self-promotion. Much like what these people were doing, self-gain. How can I uh, widen my influence so that I make more money? So that I have more people under my belt. So that I have more workers under me. That's really what a lot of leadership stuff that you look at is talking about today. But what we learn from Micah and from Jesus, the good shepherd, the breaker we talked about last week that flows into this passage. What we learn from Micah and Jesus is that we should, uh, we should seek to influence and lead people by speaking the truth boldly and by serving people wholeheartedly and passionately. So in whatever way we lead, who has God sent you to serve? Think about that. What ways am I leading? Well, who has God sent you to serve? Who has God put in your life 
that you're supposed to expend yourself for. In a day when it was not easy to do, Micah led well. And Christ calls us, as is his followers, to lead well, as he would lead. Through the power of his spirit, through, uh, with a boldness to proclaim his truth, and then with a passion to serve others selflessly. Think about those three statements. When I lead, when I lead people, in whatever capacity that is, am I leading in a way that is filled with the power of his spirit, that is boldly proclaiming the truth of God, and that is passionately expending and serving from what I, not what I can get from other people, but what can I give to those who I'm called to lead. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.